And so in light of the series we're in, Family Matters, I was doing some research for today's uh, topic, and I found some fun tweets about parenting that I wanted to share with you guys. Uh, One of the tweets said, I want my children to be independent, headstrong people, just not while I'm raising them. (laughs) Ain't that the truth? Another parent said, my kids call it yelling when I raise my voice, but I call it motivational speaking for people who don't listen. Another thing said, parenting is mostly just informing kids how many more minutes they have of something. Another one said, the thing that impresses me most about America is how well the parents obey their children. Oh, right. Michael Levine said, having children makes you no more a parent than having a piano makes you a pianist. We're in our series, Family Matters, and we're looking at the the biblical views of family and relationships, and today we're going to look at parenting. And I want to start off with a disclaimer real like before we get into this stuff, that I am not a perfect parent. I know that you guys know that, um, but I just need it said so that you guys, you know, don't go, all those things you said today, I don't see you doing. And I want to say, yeah, I'm trying. Uh, I'm learning right along with you. It's my first time doing it, um, you know, and so it's, it's kind of a crazy thing, parenting, right? I was talking to someone recently about how much responsibility it is to raise a child and how, like, it's probably one of the, probably, like, the heftiest load of responsibility someone will ever carry, yet there's not, like, a class you have to take. There's no degree program. You know, if there was a class, it would definitely be, like, a four-year, maybe even eight-year to try and figure it all out because I know that, like, many parents spend 18 years doing it and still don't know what they're doing, and um, I'm, like, headed on that track. And this is... Not easy, because there's a lot to it. But the good news is, while it's hard, um, it's very rewarding. There's very many blessings. There's very many things in it. But it doesn't have to be as difficult as we make it out to be, because it's very much like other things we discuss in church as well. To the very core, parenting is discipleship. As a parent, you are what we called before, not just a travel agent for their life, but a travel guide to show them all through life and to be there and be there with it. And this is good news because I don't think I've ever met a travel guide who hated their life, you know? And um, so that means parenting can be enjoyable, okay, guys? Um, Now, I know it's not always feels like a vacation type of thing, but it can be a little less stressful when we want to fully understand our assignment. See, your household should be your first disciples, Just like discipling each other that is happening here at the church, as parents, you are just discipling children. That means that your main goal as a parent is to imitate Christ to them so that they grow up to look like Jesus. That is the goal of Christian parenting. Now, you might have other goals, things like I want them to get into a good college, you know, to be good students, maybe a really good athlete so that later, you know, down the road, they'll have a good career. Or maybe your goal is like, I just don't want to kill them. You know, uh, whatever your goal is, let me remind you that all of those goals fall very, very distant second place to the main goal of discipling them as Jesus would. Your goal should be that they are children who live the greatest commandment first and foremost, that they grow to be adults who love God and people well. Because that, if that's who they become, then everything else that they'll ever need in life will come from their Father in heaven. See, God is not all that concerned with how well they're doing in school. What he's concerned about is how well are they reflecting Jesus while they're there. He's not concerned if they're going to become a great athlete. 
He's wondering if their actions reflect God. Doesn't that kind of take a huge weight off your shoulders, though? Now, it doesn't mean that we, we don't care and God doesn't care about their physical needs and, you know, we obviously need to feed children and things like that. Um, but Jesus and God, their promise is to care for them and to take care of all those things. Our goal is just to get them to look more like Jesus. And before I go much further, I want to remind you of something. In Psalm 127, 3 through 5, it says, Children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from him. Children born to a young man are like arrows in a warrior's hands. How joyful is the man whose quiver is full of them. Right? Children are a gift. They're a reward. Right? Sometimes I'm like, God, why did you punish me with these children? No. Uh, and he's like, no, it's a reward. You have done well. And I was like, was there other things in the box of rewards? I could, no. Uh, but honestly, it should feel that way. Your children should feel like a gift, like a reward, because God looks at you and says, you're doing a good job, and I believe you can raise these children to look like me. Often when my kids frustrate me, this is kind of my reminder to calm down and remind myself of the joy I get from them, that they are a reward, that every experience I have with them is a gift. So before we get anywhere, enjoy your children. Right? Spend time getting to know them. Play with them. Do things that they enjoy. Take them along to do things that you enjoy. And it will be the greatest thing. Make that effort, and you will start to see them as a gift. So we're going to look at parenting the same kind of way we looked at discipleship. And if you remember when we talked through discipleship, we talked about there's four phases. Seeing Jesus, know Jesus, be Jesus, and then show Jesus. First, your children should see Jesus in you. The most important part of parenting is your relationship with God. If you don't have that, then the rest of your parenting will be off track. When your kids are watching you, are they seeing Jesus? When you're having a bad day, are you showing Jesus? When you're in a disagreement with your spouse, do they see Jesus? Do your kids see you read your Bible? Do they see a commitment to church? Do they see you pray? Right? Have you, haven't you guys ever heard the phrase that actions speak louder than words? Right? You can tell your kids, hey, this is what matters, and, and this is what you're supposed to be doing, and all these things, but if they don't see it in you, it doesn't matter to them. Your kids, above everything else, need to see you living like Jesus. Are you loving towards everyone around you? Are you caring for the poor and the sick and the needy? Are you asking for forgiveness when you have wronged someone, even your own kids, right? Nothing shows Jesus more than humbling yourself in any sort of way. And one of the humblest actions that we can do for our kids is to go to them and ask for the forgiveness when we've done something wrong to them. Are you serving your children? Are you sacrificing for them with a loving attitude? See, in Matthew 7, 9 through 11, Jesus is talking, and he says, you parents, if your, chi- if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask him? Right? And I share this because I want to let you know that you are not just some general reflection of God to your children, but over and over again, God is referred to as our father. And as a parent, the way you treat your children directly reflects on how your children will see God. 
You guys connect that? Growing up, my dad was pretty strict. Um, my sisters are hanging out over there. When I say pretty, it just means he was strict. And, uh, right? and uh, we had a ton of rules. My dad expected a lot out of us. And really, I remember a lot out of me as a student and in most areas of my life. Um, I remember there's times that I came home with all A's and a B in my college pre-calculus class. And my dad said, why is that one not an A like the rest? And that was his only comment on my uh, thing. So he had high expectations for us. We were disciplined in many different ways. Um, when we were caught doing something wrong, it would be thumped on the head, slapped in the mouth, spanked, you know, all the things. Um, the worst for me was that as I got older, he would make me write Bible reports when I got in trouble about the things I was doing wrong. Uh, and I know that I've lost multiple years of my life to being grounded. All right? Um, my dad is a pastor. He also spent a lot of time working and helping people from the church. I, I want to be clear here that I love my dad. Uh, all right? Um, he taught me how to care for people. He showed me how to sacrifice for others. And he taught me that God is the greatest importance. And before I move on, my dad and I have had this conversation. I'm not sure. He, he watches this. He will not be surprised. Um, and he's actually going to come here and speak for Father's Day next week. And, uh, yeah, so don't, don't miss it. It's going to be really exciting. We got something cool for fathers. Um, bring all the other fathers that you know. But as a child, I learned some bad things from that when it comes to God. Because of the high expectations my dad held for me, I felt that I could never, ever live up then to the expectations God has of me. If I was a disappointment to my dad, how much more of a disappointment am I to my God? Most of my conversations through my teen years and into like young adult was, God, I know I don't deserve you to forgive me. Or, man, I just keep messing up. Might as well give up on me, God. I'm never going to be what you expect me to be. I also believe that God probably didn't have time for me because I was an inconvenience and he had other things to attend to. And when I was 18 years old, I was here in Des Moines at part of a discipleship program and God began to speak to me during one of our morning worships and uh, he just said, I'm not your earthly father. I'm a perfect father. You are not an inconvenience to me. You're my son that I love and I'm gonna be there with you. You're not a failure and like he just began to like speak all these things, and then I'm immediately I'm like, oh, God, I'm so sorry. I didn't live up to that. And he's like, boy, do you even listen? You know? And, uh, but, man, it's still a struggle for me 15-some years later that, you know, I still like tear up. It still gets to my heart that this is what's going on. Right? Understand that you are your child's first glimpses of God. Right? Also understand that you will mess up. Right? I want to take that pressure off of you. God's not saying you have to be perfect because you won't. You're not. But what you do have is the perfect one wanting to help you if you can rely on him. Right? You have the power of asking for forgiveness and of showing grace. Understand that if you show grace and err on the side of grace, your children will give you grace as well. Your children also learn your value, their values and priorities from watching you, not listening to you. I've spoken here many times about how you can find a person's priorities and values in three ways. You can look at where they spend their time, you can look at where they spend their money, and you can look at their social media feeds. 
Those are the priorities in people's lives. And your children will see that. If you choose things over church, you teach your kids that things are more important than God. If your kids don't see you giving money or you don't have conversations with them understanding that you give to the church, they won't see the value in that. If your kids are old enough to scroll your Facebook page or look at your Instagram or open your TikTok and they aren't seeing things about God, especially not seeing you post things about God, they could assume this Jesus thing is not all that important to you. And they will apply these things to their lives. There's a leadership philosophy that states that your followers will only do on average 50% of what you do. So say I come to 100% of the events of the church, then on average, all of the regular members of this church will probably only attend about 50% of church events. The sad thing is this tends to be very true across all boards, all spectrums, not just Christian things. But this also happens with your kids. Right? What you what they see in you, they're not going to put in that same amount of effort. But only those things that they find are your main core values. So if you put other things above God, that's where they're going to put all their effort. And then if you hope that they're going to do your 50% of Christian walk, they're only going to do 25%. They need to see those high priorities. This is actually why here at the church, you know, we've simplified everything that we do here. We have this basic process of loving God and loving people. And you love God by coming here Sunday, joining Bible studies, being discipled. You love people, you serve, and you go to table groups. Because we want them to be just simple core things that you do. And when you come to parent, you need to kind of write out those values. Under, look at your own life and say, okay, what am I actually showing my children are my values? Look at your calendar. How much time are you spending with God? Look at your checkbook, right? I'm not saying give all of your money to the church, but maybe you have a conversation with the kids that they understand that you give and you tithe to church. And then when you give them an allowance, you teach them to tithe and that they see that importance of it, right? Because that shows value, right? You put your money on things you value. And then check out your social media feeds. What would, if you were, if you never met yourself and you scrolled that, what would somebody assume you care about most? And then see if that lines up with the values you want to share with your kids. And then maybe you need to make some adjustments. After showing your children Jesus, your next goal is to help them to know Jesus. I love how Deuteronomy talks about this in chapter 6, 4 through 9. It says, listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you are on the road and when you are going to bed and when you are getting up. Tie them on your hands. Wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Right, this verse first shows what's the most important things, the core value. Right, there's one God, and he is the Lord of my life. That means he directs my steps. And because of that, you must love him with everything and be fully committed to that. Now, what do you do with those core values? You tell your kids over and over. You talk about it at home. You talk about it in the car. You talk about it at night. You talk about it in the morning. You make jewelry with God on it. You wear Jesus shirts, you know, all these things. But you put it around their home. So when they come into your house, they see it. It's on their gates when they leave. They see it. Basically, at all times, in all places, Make sure you are pointing your kids 
to Jesus. And when we look at the life of Jesus, him with his disciples, he just walked along, you know, from city to city with his disciples, and he used whatever they were passing to share truths about the kingdom of God. He often used crops, fig trees, wheat, grapevines, barren fields, seed being sown, bodies of water to show them the compassion of God. He also showed them that by stopping and caring for these people in need, by praying for them and healing them. These opportunities with your kids are priceless, right? Take them to go feed the homeless. Have them join in with you while you're praying for someone. Share what you learned from your morning devotions or what God shared with you at church. Right? Speak Jesus into them as they're falling asleep. Proverbs 22.6 says, direct your children onto the right path, and when they are older, they will not leave it. Right? The morality of adults, they have come to find is shaped mainly in their childhood, usually under 10 years old. Moral development is the process of learning how to differentiate between right and wrong and choosing the right one. There's a term called heteronymous morality. It's defined as children's belief that people who have an authority on them determine the moral rules that cannot be opposed. And this happens between ages 5 and 10. Studies show that people learn their core values, their morals, all that stuff during childhood. And this is why most therapy has to do with childhood trauma, right? It always comes back to that. There's all the the jokes and things about it, but it's because you probably learn morals and values that are not healthy and that are affecting you today. I know one of my main goals of parenting is to not be the reason my child has to go to therapy later in life, you know? Um, But seriously, if I'm always pointing them to Jesus and showing that I have faults, and leading them to the one that's perfect, I'm sure I'm going to do a decent job at that. That's the importance of that verse of train them up in the way they should go. So you teach them Jesus when they are young, not just right and wrong, but teach them the values of Jesus, and they will walk the right path as they get older. Now, this doesn't mean shelter your children and only teach them Jesus. They need to know how the world functions and how to live as Christians in the world. We are called to be in the world, to be a light, right? Not to be of the world and and not to be out of the world, but to be in the world and be a light. Teach your kids how to be Jesus in all situations, especially when they are in your house, because there in your house, you have the opportunity to show them grace and to teach them and correct them. As parents, it's also important for your kids to see and learn from other adults with the same value. They need to see that their parents are not the only ones who hold to those same values, right? Find other adults in your life that share them and you would trust to speak into your kids. My mentor, he has a, his kids are grown and out of the house, but he has a relationship with a few other adults that he's totally fine with them speaking to his kids' lives. And often when he knows what to say to them, he's like, they may not hear it from me, but they might hear it from this guy. Like, hey, you should go over and talk to so-and-so about that. And sometimes it goes a call ahead to give them a heads up. And sometimes it's like, I just trust that they're going to say the right thing. You know when you're trying to tell your child something and they don't hear it, they don't understand it from you, then all of a sudden they come home, somebody else told them the exact same thing and it changed their life. And you're like, what the heck? And you just get mad, you know? Don't be mad, get glad. And find some other people, right? Find some other people to speak into their lives. Use that to your advantage, to their advantage. 
some great adults to regularly have in your kids' lives are your pastors, your youth leaders, your children's directors. You know, they should regularly be able to interact with them. But there should be other people in their lives as well. On a slightly side note here, your children's spiritual walk is not dependent on the church, on its pastors or its leaders. It's on you as a parent. You have exponentially more time with your children than anybody in the church has. Right? We are here for support. We're going to come alongside you. We want, we want to help. We're a part of that. But it is not our responsibility. Just like we're here for support in your spiritual walk, but it doesn't really take off for you until you own it and make those decisions and those choices, right? We're still just here as support. If they aren't seeing God in their home life, if they're not seeing you as parents leading them to God, it's actually really hard to be a spiritual leader for them when we only get an hour or two a week with them. One of the most frustrating things to me is, I did youth ministry. I don't know if you guys know, I was a youth pastor for 10-ish years before coming here. And uh, one of the most frustrating things to me was when parents discipline their children by not letting them come to church. Um, and it's like, you can't do that. Like, that, that's the opposite of what you want. Right? We're here to support you. Let us know, like, hey, um, a lot of things are going on at home, and we're going to come, and we wanna, we'll speak life into them, and we'll walk through those things with them. But if you take them out of those places where it points them to Jesus, you're showing, hey, when things are going bad, don't go to church. When you're not doing things right, don't go. That's the best place to be, you know. They need you as parents to show them Jesus. And part of teaching Jesus is discipline. Part of discipling is learning discipline because discipline is biblical. Hebrews 12, 10 through 11, it says, For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how. But God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. It's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. Understand that the goal of discipline is teaching right living, right? Not dealing with annoying kids, okay? Proverbs 13, 24 says, those who spare the rod of discipline hate their children. Those who love their children care enough to discipline them. Proverbs 29, 15, and 17 says, to discipline a child produces wisdom, but a mother is disgraced by an undisciplined child. Discipline your children, and they will give you peace of mind and make your heart glad. Whenever I hear the spare the rod thing, it always reminds me of the movie Matilda. Um, you know, if, if you guys watched that before, there's the principal, Mrs. Trunchbull, and her motto of discipline is use the rod, beat the child. Um, okay? And I want to let you know that that is not the motto of God. Okay, When he says don't, like, not sparing the rod. This is not what he's saying, okay? In the original language, discipline actually doesn't even translate to punishment most of the time. In those last three verses, those Proverbs verses, the word discipline is used four times, and it's actually three different words that all are along the same theme and it's why they're translated into English as discipline. But the one word is rod, and you may know it as a switch, you know, from growing up, right? Um, but it's also actually a reference to a sheep and a shepherd. And they had a rod. They had their staff and a rod. You know, Psalm 23, your staff and your rod, they comfort me. Because the rod wasn't just used for, you know, beating sheep. It was for like, hey, don't go over there. And they would prod them with it to, to get them back on path. 
or they would be headed off and they would use the rod and they would use the staff to guide them back on to the path that they're supposed to be living. When punishment is to get them onto the right path. Discipline is to get them onto the right path. It's not beating them with the rod. That is not what that verse says. See, yes, discipline can be physical, but the goal is to get the child on the right path. The second word that's used is the word musar, M-U-S-A-R. And it's used to mean properly instruct or to correct, right? That's when they use discipline. It's to properly instruct and correct. There's another word, yasar, that was used. And it means to correct, to punish, instruct. And it's also used as the word admonish, right? That's not negative sounding. Admonish is to encourage to do the right thing. That verse says, um, a mother's disgraced by an undisciplined child. The original language says that a mother's disgraced by a child that is left alone, that a child that is shown no love. Right? Because correcting them and admonishing them and bringing them together is showing love, getting them on the right path. Right? Yes, disciplining is in the Bible. Beating your child is not. Right? Punishing your child for, the benef- for your benefit is not biblical. Right? When you discipline a child, why are you doing it? Consider that. Right? Is it because you've been inconvenienced? Or was it harmful to the child? Did it make you angry? Are their actions not lining up with what Jesus would do? Will your child understand why they're being disciplined? Because you can't properly correct if they're not understanding. What is your intentions and your feelings behind it? Sometimes I put my kids in timeout because they've done something wrong, and I also need a moment to calm down so that I can talk with them about the problem. Colossians 3.21, Paul says, Fathers, do not aggravate your children or they will become discouraged. Paul says again in Ephesians 6.4, he says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. The goal of discipline for anyone is to look more like Jesus. That's the goal at the end. But remember, discipline means instruction, nurture, correction, admonishment just as much as it means punishment, and probably even more. And remember that grace reigns supreme. God has shown you unlimited grace. Be Be a safe place for your children and offer grace, and they will always come back to you. Now, after they've learned who Jesus is by seeing it in your life and by your teachings as a parent, it's now your job to encourage them to be like Jesus. It's their moment to start acting on it. This is where you, like Jesus and like Paul, said, hey, imitate me as I imitate God. Encourage your children to start praying with you. Have them pray for people. Ask them to pray for you when you're sick. If they know how to read, get them a devotional that they would enjoy and go through it with them. Encourage them to talk to their friends about Jesus. Ask them to tell you what they learned in children's church and then take time to help them apply it during that week. We spend a lot of time as parents getting our kids to things. As they get older, right, you're going to start taking them to school, you're taking them to sports, you'll take them to their instrument lessons and, you know, all the extra things they do. Imagine if you spent that same amount of time helping them develop godly habits and how that would affect their life in the future. Matthew 6.33 says, Seek the kingdom of God above all else, live righteously, and he'll give you everything you need. What if we taught our children that? We taught them that first and foremost, we seek the kingdom of God. All the other things 
all the other worries, all the other problems of life, God will take care of. Right? More than being the star athlete, more than being the next American Idol or whatever the big thing is, right? more than an Olympic gymnast, more than the next valedictorian, more than all of that, we need to be focused on them being like Jesus. God will give them those platforms. He's already designed. He's already created a path. He already has a plan and a purpose for them. Don't you think that if you just got them connected to God first, that he would actually allow all that stuff to happen? Probably a lot smoother. Which leads me to the final phase of showing Jesus. Eventually, your kids, especially even with how much time they spend at school, they're going to be out on their own, right? When we send them to elementary school, they're already out on their own, right? And we want them, yes, to be intelligent and beautiful children that are protected and safe. But more than that, we want them to be people that love God and people well, that they look like Jesus and that they shine a light for them. As I mentioned at the beginning, children are a gift. But that verse continued that they are like arrows in your quiver. They are meant to be sent. What good are arrows if they're never used? Right? Children are meant to be released into the world. Right now, my own children are young, and I, I release them to school and to be Jesus there. But I was in youth ministry, like I said, for 10 years. And Vic and I have some adopted children out there that are out in the world serving and doing all sorts of things. Like Kayla, I don't know where she's way in the back. She's headed to Mexico for a month to go and serve Jesus and be a light there. Yeah, isn't that awesome? But you have to be able to release them. My mom has always been a great Christian woman. Um, I always saw her reading her Bible pretty much every morning. She would pray with us. You could see her being moved in worship. But she was always more of a behind the scenes, especially when it came to us um, and Jesus. My dad being the pastor probably just stepped in more because that was kind of his role and my mom would let him. But when I was 20 years old, I signed up to go on a missions trip to Pakistan. Now, this was 2009, and it was considered the most dangerous country on the earth. Um, And one of the cities we were actually staying in was on the front line of the battle for Taliban trying to take control of the city. My mom, being a good mom, did not want me to go. Obviously, she was like, that doesn't sound safe. Like, you should just stay here. You know, you should stay home. Um, But I saw her faith being lived out because she let me go. I mean, I was 20 and I was going anyways, but, and maybe that was enough to convince her. I don't know, but I remember her just going, I know God's going to take care of you. I know God wants you to go and it's going to be okay. Right? She let me go with confidence and faith in the Lord. Because truth is, guys, your children are not yours. They're God's. They're a gift from him. And as a parent, your greatest privilege in the entire world It's to steward those gifts and put them back into God's hands. Better yet, constantly put them back into God's hands. Do your best to teach them to do the same with their own lives. And guys, this will will help you because when they become teens and preteens and they don't want to be involved in your life, you know, you've already released them, you know? (laughs) Right? And they can just be in God's hands. But if you've done these things to the best of your ability, and you've placed the right people in their lives, and you've taught them the right habits and values, the values of Jesus, and not only do they know about Jesus, but they already live like him, there's very little to worry about. Right? We don't send our kids out unequipped. We don't just you know, shoot the arrow into the sky and hope it doesn't fall back down on our head. You know? There's purpose in it. 
That's what all this teaching, this showing, this instructing and correcting is for. And for when they fall down, we lift them back up and we show them grace and forgiveness. And we encourage them and we do protect them. But we trust that God will protect them even more. Do your best when you're discipling them to help them find out how God has created them. Right? Let God be the person that's directing their lives, not you. Right? Don't try and put what you want for them in life into them. Let them just speak what God has into them. Look for their gifts, their spiritual gifts that God's already created them with and help guide them in that direction. Like you are the bow and you get to direct that arrow. And do it so empowering them. Don't get in their way. Pull that bowstring all the way back so that they follow the right path with confidence in the Lord. Now, you're going to find yourself in different cycles of this phase through their whole lives. It's not just these four things all the way through. You're going to be at different spots over and over again as they grow and as they mature in different things. And you'll constantly have to find a different way to show them Jesus as they find out different things about the world going on around them. You know, they might pick some wrong friends. They're going to make some mistakes. But you get to be Jesus. You get to be grace-filled. You get to sacrifice for them. You get to love them. You get to show them Jesus in all sorts of ways. I want to end with a poem by Khalil Gibran. It says, A woman who held a babe against her bosom said, Speak to us of children. And he said, Your children are not your children. They are the sons and daughters of life's longing for itself. They come through you, but not from you. And though they are with you, yet they belong not to you. You may give them your love, but not your thoughts. For they have their own thoughts. You may house their bodies, but not their souls. For their souls dwell in the house of tomorrow, which you cannot visit, not even in your dreams. You may strive to be like them, but seek not to make them like you. For life does not go backward, nor tarries with yesterday. You are the bows from which your child as living arrows are sent forth. The archer sees the mark upon the path of the infinite, and he bends you with his might that his arrows may go swift and far. Let your bending in the archer's hand be for gladness, for even as he loves the arrow that flies, he also loves the bow that is stable. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your model of parenting. and I thank you that you are a perfect father. And I thank you that you are a help to us to be good parents to our children and to really the other children around us, Lord. I pray that you will constantly remind us that our job is to point them to you, to make them like you, to make them know you. God, I pray that you would just be with them, God, all of us, Lord, as parents, that in those moments where we find it hard in those moments that we find it um, scary that we don't know what to do or in frustration and all sorts of things God that you would give us your patience that you would allow us to move in grace and forgiveness Lord God would you constantly remind us to point our children to you may we be stable bows as we send our children out into the world Lord and I pray for our kids that you would protect them. 
God, we put them into your hands. We know that above all, you know what's best for them. You can care better for them than we can. You can protect them better than we can. So we put them into your hands. We love you so much. Thank you for being a good father to us and the best example. In your name we pray, amen. All right, go and be God-focused parents today.